Welcome, welcome. Welcome. Hey, sunshine. Hey, there, moonbeam. All right, welcome to week two of Hate Your Mom, the most exciting series on earth, as you know it right now. As I said last week when we started, this series is not just about hating your mom. It's about what Jesus said when he was here on earth, maybe some of the crazy things that he said, some stuff you might not have known that he said, and maybe some stuff you did know he said, but you didn't know that he meant it when he said it, because he did. But it's exciting. And tonight we're going on with that. Another thing that Jesus said that maybe is going to shake your norm a little bit, maybe you remember it, maybe you don't, but it might cause you to stir. So hopefully you really see who Jesus is. Straighten up in your chair, perk up your ears, and listen so you can hear what Jesus is saying tonight. Message two of our Hate Your Mom series is entitled... Cut off your hand! It's exciting, isn't it? Cut off your hand. That is tonight. All right. You know how late it is? I can't believe we're getting started at this time. Never, never you mind, Jules. Here's what time it is. It's time to listen. If you haven't read this yourself, you might be tempted to think, how in the world did Jesus say, cut off your hand? That just seems absolutely crazy. Then again, last week I said that he said, hate your mom, and that seems really crazy too, right? Where in the world would Jesus have the opportunity to say, cut off your hand? This just seems wild. Why would he say it? It seems crazy, but he really did say it. And maybe some of you guys, you would actually know that uh, he did say it, but did you by chance know that he said it two different times in his life? And actually, it's reported by two separate incidents, two separate people who viewed him. So not only did Jesus say this once, but Jesus said this twice in his lifetime. Bet you guys didn't know that. He didn't tell me he said it once, but he said it twice. Here's what I want you to read, okay? You you could read these, but maybe you could just write them down, because I'm going to read them for you, because otherwise um, you're going to be looking through your Bible, and I just want to keep on moving on. So here's the first one in the Bible when you read through. It comes up in Matthew 5. 29 through 30, and it says this, If your right, eye, your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That's occurrence one. Now, what most of you guys don't know is in Matthew 18, just a little while later when he's teaching again, He says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. Twice. Matthew records him saying this during teaching. Matthew was there. Mark and Luke compiled their things later from other people's occurrences. Matthew was there. I believe the fact that he said it twice, if Matthew wrote it twice. Not only that, but then we get to hear another view um, from Mark, and that's actually found in Mark 9, 42-48. And I want you guys to turn to that one if you can, and you can keep your finger on that one because we're going to look at that, okay? Go ahead, get there, but I'm going to read it for you, Okay? 42 through 48 says, 
And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to go with two hands into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where the worm, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So we get the third occurrence of someone wrote, writing this. Now this is good, because if you people are one of those people who really like to see the proof of the fact that it happened, I believe every single word in the Bible. I believe that it's infallible. But we get two different eyewitness accounts, if you will, or two different accounts of Jesus saying these words. Why? Because they were pretty crazy. That's not something that you forget. Like when Mark was compiling the Bible in that, in that little section there, his little story, people weren't going to forget this part because it's crazy. They're like, man, do you remember when Jesus said, cut off your hand? Crazy. So here's the deal. Um, did Jesus say it? Once again, like I said last week with Hate Your Mom, and how he said it, he said, cut off your foot, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye. Crazy. I mean, he really said it. Not only that, but he said it twice in his life. So did he say it? Yes, he did. Once again, I repeat to you that Jesus is hardcore. He didn't pussyfoot around the issue. You guys ever hear that word? It's a good word. He didn't pussyfoot around the issue. He dove right in it and he's like, no, cut off your hand. Talking about sin. Hardcore. So here's where we start to actually get into what does it mean. Is Jesus just telling us, hey, cut off your hand? Of course not. There's a reason why he said this, right? And we can find this inside the text. Jesus did not want us to be a bunch of bloody-handed, stumped, bloody feet stumped, and blind people walking around. That wasn't his point of this saying. There was actually a reason. In this text, Jesus is making a comparison. And what he's doing is he's speaking of the absolute seriousness of sin. That's why he's talking the way he is. What he's saying is that you have to cut sin out of your life, even if it comes at an extreme cost to yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. He's talking about this, you know, cutting off your right hand. Do you have any idea how important your right hand is? That's what he's saying. He's saying that you need to, you need to cut sin out of your life, even if it's at an extreme cost to yourself. I have a question for you. You can just raise your hand. How many of you would cut off your right hand for a million dollars? Exactly. No one even thought about it, did you? Who in the world would think, man, for a million dollars, it doesn't matter. Your body is worth so much. Isn't that crazy? I mean, who would cut off a pinky toe for a million dollars? I think you guys are crazy. The f- <laughs> like, the two of you raise your hand. I wouldn't cut off my pinky toe for a million dollars. It's my pinky toe. Seriously. No, seriously. There's something, there is something special about, like, your body and keeping it intact. It's a natural thing that humans want to do. I said last week when I talked about the hate your mom, there's no point in using a comparison unless people understand it, right? He's using a comparison once again in this. And he's telling people to cut off their hands in extreme, right? It catches people's attentions. In this, he's saying sin is serious. He's saying it's not a joke or some light thing to just be played around with. In Galatians 5, 
19 through 21. I want to read this to you in the message because it's really hardcore, okay? And it's talking about what a dirty, dingy life is and how it doesn't lead to God. I love this. It says, It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs at happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you. You know. If you use your freedoms this, th- this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Hardcore. He throws down this list. This is, as in Jesus talking, um, this would be Paul talking to the Galatians. And what he's talking about is how if you live this way, don't expect the fact that you're going to get God's kingdom. You're going to get the exact opposite. What he's saying is that this sin is serious. He says if you want to live that way, don't expect to get close to God. Which Jesus is saying really inside of this is that sin is death. It says in the Bible, the wages of sin is death. So it says basically the payment for sin. You collect a wage when you work, right? You do work, you get a wage. They said that the wage of sin, you sin, you are paid death. Not just death here, but eternal death. What they're talking about is hell. This is a place that the Bible says is filled with an unquenchable fire and torment. There's no real way around it. Um, it's extremely frightening. Revelation 20, 14 through 15, is talking about the end times at the very end of the world. And it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into that lake of fire. It's talking about the very, very end of the world when judgment comes. And they said that at that time, basically, sin the devil, everything altogether is thrown back into hell, basically in their lockbox where they're going to be kept for all of eternity. And anybody who didn't have a relationship with God where their name was written in the book of life gets thrown in there with them, and that's where they spend eternity. Calls it the second death. I think that's important. Talking about the fact that hell is a place of continual and perpetual second death. That's what they're saying. Um, I really do not wish to ever know the horrors of hell. It scares me. It absolutely frightens me. Um, people make fun of it. People make light of it. And they're like, oh, you know, it's going to be some big old party in hell. Me and all my buddies getting drunk. I have a question for you, okay? If you're even a semi-smart person, if you have some knowledge in your head right now, okay, you know that the devil is everything evil, right? Right. So he's going to trick you into going there. Do you think the devil's going to reward you? Do you think he's a nice guy? Have you ever seen people who take people hostage, right? They ask them what to do. They tell them what to do. The people follow everything they do over and over and over again, follow everything they say, and then what happens at the end most of the time? They kill them. The hostage thinks if they follow every single one of their captors' demands that at the end they're going to get released. And it's the exact opposite. The broad majority of it is that they follow every single thing that their captor says, and at the end they kill them. It's the exact same with Satan. Your whole entire life, he's going to lie to you and tell you what to do and tell you what to do and you think you're going to follow it. And the people think they're going to go to hell and they're going to be buddies with Satan. He's just like a captor. He's going to kill you when you get there. 
He has no love for you. He has no, no care for you whatsoever. He uses you for what he can get out of you, and that's it. And that's what hell is going to be. It is going to be an eternal place of pain and torment. I work in a machine shop, Graper Sales and Service, our machine shop. And um, we have this thing called a hot tank, okay? And what it is, is it's this big, huge tank, maybe 10 by 10. And it's this basic, not acidic, but you understand the idea, caustic solution. What happens is you'll take anything, like say a big engine block, big radiator, you load it into it, and this big top comes down, and it, it drops it down on, a, on, a, on like a metal crate to sit inside of the solution. The solution is superheated, ridiculously hot, like burn your hands hot. So this combination of this acid and this really, really hot temperature just melts everything off of metal. Paint, dirt, oil, grime, everything just melts away from it. You pull it up, you take it off, and you'll, you steam clean it off with water, and the block is clean. It's beautiful, right? There was one day that I was loading something, and I lifted it up, and there's this big air thing. The whole top of it's this huge metal top. I lift it up, and it loads up, right? And the top comes up, and I caught a, I caught a whiff of it, and it's really strong. And I kind of got almost overcome by breathing in too much of it. And when I put it down, I thought to myself, wow, that's a perfect view of what hell's going to be like. If someone set me in that rack right now and lowered that down, and as I went into it, the most scary thing immediately would be the fact that I know there's a huge metal top on it and there's no way that I can get out. So I already know that I'm going to die. There's no chance. And then imagining being in pitch black, no light, where I'm closing my eyes and holding my breath as hard as I possibly can, and there's acid burning and eating me all around my body. It's too hot to even be able to stand. I'm getting burned from the outside in. And then coming to that moment where I realize I can't hold my breath any longer and breathing in for the first time and feeling the exact same thing run down my throat, into my lungs, come into my eyes, and just wait, hoping to God that I will die and it'll be done with. And then it struck me too, if that's what hell's like, it's forever. You sit there and you long for that moment that you can die but it doesn't come. It scared the crap out of me when I thought about that. It frightened me. It made me think, wow, I don't know if we think about what hell could be like. And that really scared me. I thought, man, I can't possibly imagine that. Like I said, the scariest thing is the fact that it is for eternity. And it's so hard to get a hold of that. It's so hard to get a hold of eternity. I've said it before. It's crazy. Do you know that in math, okay, in math, when you talk about eternity and you talk about our comparison of our life here, okay, you want to figure a percentage of how much time you live here compared to how much time you want to live in heaven? It's zero. Isn't that wild? When you compare anything to eternity, the outcome is zero. Nothing. Eternity is so long that you cannot possibly imagine. That's wild for me to tell you, but I'm going to try to help you imagine something that you can't possibly imagine. I heard someone said once, think of this, okay? Let's just think. Have you guys ever, um, ever had like a piece of metal shot, like marble-sized piece of shot or something like that, right? And have you guys ever used a file, like a metal file? And you guys ever take metals class where you get to use a metal file? But anyway, you, you can grind on it, but man, it takes forever. I think about it because I, I work with metal a lot. But whatever, a little, a little grinder, right? 
Then let's imagine the fact that this ball, okay, this metal ball, this piece of shot, is really big. Like, not just the size of the Earth big, but like the size of the sun big. If you guys know, but like, Earth would fit inside the sun like thousands of times. Isn't that insane? It's huge. Let's think of a metal ball the size of the sun. Okay? Huge. Massive, right? And you are put on it alone, and you are given one rusty little file. And they say, go ahead. And you have to start scraping at the surface of that ball, taking little, little chunks of metal off, little shavings. And you go, and you have to go all the way until you get that ball down to the size of that marble again. Can you imagine how long that would be? And I would grossly shortchange to say that that's eternity. I say that's the first day of eternity. That's day one. When that finishes, you're through day one. And still to say that, man, I'm shortchanging God. God will probably beat me up for saying that because eternity is so much longer than that. It's forever. It's hard to imagine eternity, but then again, when you think about your soul, it's kind of hard to imagine something other than eternity, isn't it? Could you imagine ever your soul stop being? So I, what I want to do is I want to tell you that, that it's serious, okay? This is what Jesus is saying when he's saying these things. I know it, it, it's, it's heavy when I'm telling you this, but this is the kind of stuff that Jesus was saying when he says, cut off your hands. This is the backing that he's putting behind it. So like I said, I can't possibly imagine what hell will be like. I can't possibly imagine the pain. The only thing I can figure is that above all else, even more painful than all of the physical torment, would be the fact of sitting there realizing the fact that God was real and I could have spent eternity with him. Maybe that's going to hurt even more than all the physical pain. I want to give you an example um, of, what, of what hell is, actually. It's a really good one. And uh, it's actually in Luke 16. And write this down because uh, now people know about this, but it's, it's a really good one to read if you want to know what, what hell is like. It talks about a rich man, okay, and a man named Lazarus. And I'm going to read it to you in the message And uh, it is Luke 16, starting in 19. It says, There was once a rich man, expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. A poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, had been dumped on his doorstep. All he lived for was to get a meal from scraps off the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs who came and licked his sores. Then he died, the poor man, and was taken up by the angels to the lap of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell and in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham in the distance and Lazarus in his lap. He called out, Father Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and to cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you got the good things and Lazarus the bad things. It's not like that here. Here he's consoled and you're tormented. Besides, in all these matters, there is a huge chasm set between us so that no one can go from us to you, even if he wanted to, nor can anyone cross over from you to us. The rich man said, Then let me ask you, Father, send him to the house of my father where I have five brothers so he can tell them the score and warn them so they won't end up here in this place of torment. Abraham answered, They have Moses and the prophets to tell them the score. Let them listen to them. I know, Father Abraham, he said, but they're not listening. If someone came back to them from the dead, they would change their ways. Abraham replied, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced by someone who rises from the dead. 
crazy. We hear about this man who's in hell, and this is Jesus' words, talking about a man who's in hell, and about how he's in so much pain, he gets to see Lazarus, who's in comfort. He gets to see him, who's happy, who's spending eternity with God. And he says, man, just let him, just let him cool my tongue. And he says, you can't do that. And then even more so is his pain. He says, please, please tell my brothers. Please tell my brothers so they don't end up where I'm at. Because he knows the pain and he knows how, how horrible that place is. That's crazy. I can't imagine that. That's what Jesus is talking about here when he says the word hell. That's the place that he is mentioning. Jesus is saying this. If it came between cutting off your hand and that eternity in hell... I would run for the nearest chop saw I could find. Jesus is saying that if it came between going to hell for eternity or gouging out my eye, please someone pass me a fork as fast as possible. Seriously. That's what he's saying. It reminds me of a man, I don't know, you guys probably remember the story. Uh, His name is uh, Aaron Ralston. And uh, he was 24 years old, and he was on a hike. And while he was hiking out in all of this terrain, he ended up getting his, his arm caught behind a huge rock. If you guys remember this story? Aaron Ralston was stuck there for a few days, and day after day he was hoping someone would find him. Someone would come get him. And um, all the carry-on birds started getting closer and closer. After a while, he realized the fact that his arm was pinched shut and that his flesh was rotting on the other side. His arm was completely dead. And before long, he realized the fact that no one is coming to get me. No one's coming. So he decided at that moment, after he'd been chipping at the rock, he realized the fact that the only way he could possibly get free was to cut his arm free from this rock. It was the only possible way. He had a dull pocket knife, which he'd been trying to chip rock with for the past three days. At that point, he realized the fact that the only possible way was to cut off his arm. So he started to tie a tourniquet on his arm, and he began the process, which lasted an entire day, of using a dull knife to cut through his own arm. He talks about, I watched an interview talking about cutting all the way through his arm, getting to the point where he finally found the main nerve in his arm, and pulling it, and he said it felt like someone literally blew fire all the way down his back. He said it was the worst pain he's ever felt in his entire life. After most all of the day, he finally finishes cutting through skin, muscle, ligament, and everything, and now all that is left is two bones in his arm. And this is where the hard part comes, is he realizes the fact that he has to break two bones off of his arm to get free. You're talking about a desperate situation, aren't you? And he decides that this is what he has to do. So he said the first one wasn't hard. He said he stood up and he pressed up as hard as he can and he heard the first one break. This time he's not even feeling pain. He says, I couldn't feel anything in my arm anymore. The second one he took and he propped himself up against a rock. And he says that as he pushed back, the the other bone snapped and he says he fell back away from the rock and fell down on his back in the dust. Now he's lying there with nothing for an arm, a bloody stump that he had cut off. And he said in an interview, he says, I remember laying there and thinking that this is the best feeling in my entire life. He says, I had never been so happy in my entire life. He says, because when I looked at that rock, I knew that I wasn't going to die there because that's where I was stuck. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that you realize the fact that you're headed for death and that what's more important is that you would even cut off your own arm to escape that death, just like this man had to do in real life, that we might have to do 
in the spiritual life, in all these different things. I mean, this man literally had to do this to save his own life, and we might be called to the same. This is what Jesus is talking about, a serious comparison to stay away from sin. So what does that mean to me then, after we've talked about that? What does that mean? Should I cut my hand off? Is that what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that sin is very dangerous and it's going to lead me to hell. A horrible place that I have no wish to go. So you might be saying, my eyes, man, they cause me to sin. Um, I look at the other sex. I look at objects that are my affection and I sin with them. Should I pluck them out? You say, my hands, man, I can make obscene gestures with them, smash people in the face with them. I sin with my hands. Maybe I should cut those off as well. And my feet, man, my feet take me places that I should never go to dark and sinful places that I am not supposed to even be. So should I cut my hands, feet, and eyes out? So here's where we need to really look at who Jesus is. We need to understand what Jesus is really talking about, and you have to to actually know some of Jesus' character to interpret this. If you just read this, it's going to be awfully hard. But when you actually see who Jesus is, it can get easier. When I read this, this is what I get from reading about Jesus, from reading over the Gospels, from listening to who he really is. I see that Jesus says it would be better to cut off your hand than to go to the flames of hell or gouge out an eye or cut off a foot. That's what he says in Mark right there if you read it. He says it's better to cut off your hand than to go into the flames of hell. Here's the cool thing. I'm no longer destined for hell. That's no longer my eternity. I know that for a fact. I am destined for heaven, a place of eternity in which there is joy and happiness and satisfaction in my God. That's my destiny. Why? And it comes back to Jesus Christ, the very man who's saying these words, because he is so much greater. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The whole deal, okay? All of us sin, and there is a law, a standard of perfection that God has set, and every single one of us have failed. Every one of us have fallen short. Jesus Christ came to this earth and it says that when he died, he paid for every single one of those things and that if I believe in him and trust in him as my Lord, that now I am saved and that when I die, I get to go to heaven and spend eternity with him. Check this out. I want you to uh, to hear Hebrews 9, 11 through 17. I want to read you the NIV and I want to read you the message as well. This is talking about Jesus and how awesome he is. Okay? In NIV, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, this to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean." How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And the message says this, I'd love it. But the Messiah arrived, high priest of the superior things of this new covenant. He bypassed the old tent in its trappings, and he created 
in this created world and went straight into heaven's tent, the true holy place, once and for all. He also bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goats and calf's blood, instead using his own blood as the price to set us free once and for all. If the animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all, we can live all out for God. Like a will that takes effect when someone dies, this new covenant was put into action at Jesus' death. His death marked a transition from the old plan to the new one, canceling the old obligations and accompanying sins, and summoning the heirs to receive the eternal inheritance that was promised to them. He brought, he brought together God and his people in this new way. So, listen to this. In the NIV, it literally says, cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death. What did I just say? I said that sin leads to death. Jesus says that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. But what this says is the fact that Jesus' sacrifice cleanses our consciousness of the acts that lead to death. He cleanses our consciousness of sin. What that's saying is this, is that Jesus is powerful enough, even more powerful than cutting off my hand would stop me to sin. Jesus, in a relationship with him, praying to him and asking him for help, is more powerful than me actually physically cutting off my hand. That's what it's saying. Is that my relationship with Jesus can literally change me from the inside out and make those lustful, make those hurtful, make those hateful thoughts turn into something beautiful, that he can change me from the inside out, that I don't have to be that person anymore. That's what it's saying. So now, my eternity isn't in hell. My eternity is in heaven. I don't have to cut off my hand because I have Jesus Christ to help me in order to take and help me through these things. Like I said, cutting off your hand sounds really drastic, doesn't it? But it's Jesus' words. And I say this, if we don't have to cut off our hand literally because of what Jesus did, then is it too much to ask to pray to him daily, to read his word daily, to actually understand what he saved you from? Because that's what it's actually going to be. That's what's actually going to take and stop the things that lead to death. That's sin. In comparison, it seems pretty easy, doesn't it? That relationship with Jesus Christ. Now here is the reality, though. Jesus said, Cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. So what does that mean in my own life if I am not going to cut off my hand? Like I said before, Jesus was painting a picture of how serious sin was and how we need to cut it out of our lives even if it is at a great cost to ourselves. That's the, the meaning of what he was saying in this. You can take what he actually said by words and what he was really saying, what he was trying to communicate to these people. So, if Jesus said, cut off our right hand if it causes us to sin, cut off our right hand if it causes us to sin, that's the reality of how important it is. What do you think Jesus would say about a situation, a friend, an action, a job, a relationship, loved ones, an object, or a partner that would cause us to sin as well? What do you think Jesus' response to that would be? Along with the serious of sin, I believe that the most important thing to be learned from Jesus' words in this section is that we must be drastic 
in how we deal with sin in our personal lives. This is the most important thing I think you can possibly understand out of this, other than the seriousness of sin. Drastic in how we deal with sin. Listen to that. Write it down. Drastic in how we deal with sin. Hebrews 12.1 says this. Let me, let me read it for you. Therefore, since, our, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. The Bible says that we need to get rid of this stuff from our life, that there's no room for it anymore. Sin is serious. We just established that. And to treat it any different would be something completely foolish. To treat it as anything less than dangerous. Kirk Cameron, he runs the Way of the Master, along with uh, Ray Comfort, I believe is his name. He likened sin one time as this. He said, there's a small boy and he's standing holding a stick of dynamite, staring at the sparkling flame, just enthralled by how beautiful it is. He said, that's what sin is like in our lives. That piece of dynamite that we're holding on because it looks so pretty. Like I said, to, to treat sin as anything less than dangerous would be foolishness. Jesus is saying this, if something in our life causes us to sin, we have to cut it out. That means that if that situation in your life causes you to sin, you need to cut it out. That means that if that job causes you to sin, you need to cut it out. And that means that if that friend causes you to sin, you need to cut it out. We need to be ridiculously drastic. If something causes you to sin, you absolutely have to cut it out. That's what I'm saying. We have to be drastic, like I said, crazy sometimes. He is saying that sin is too serious for coddling, coercing, avoiding, and sanctioning. Think about this. Sin is too serious for coddling, coercing, avoiding, and sanctioning. Because that is what we try to do so very often. Here's the situation, okay? All the time, we try to tell ourselves things like, um, the next time we go to a party, we're not going to get drunk. The next time. Um, we act as if when we go on the computer, we're going to go on to look at our MySpace, even though we already have in our hearts the idea that we're going to go look at pornography. But we'll lie to ourselves and act like we're going to. Or believing that making sanctions on an already sinful relationship will make it clean again. We have to deal with the things, these things absolutely drastically. They can't be dealt with in that way. You can't sanction things and say, well, it's only going to happen this way. You can't say that... Um, you know, I'm going to just take and avoid this situation. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. What Jesus is saying is that you have to absolutely just cut it from your life, remove it, all together, all the way down to the bitter root, even if it hurts. Like I said, even at an extreme cost to yourself. Can I be ridiculously honest with you guys tonight? Ridiculously honest. Hurt people's feelings, set up a bad taste in your mouth for the next 10, 15 years. No, I don't know. Here's one that everyone's going to have to deal with, and here's my, here's my reality, okay? And I'm going to be a little crass in this, and just, re- just realistic, okay? It's about relationships. It's about relationships. I say this, that every, if, if every single time you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you find yourself in the clutches of sexual sin, cut off your hand. Okay? Just like I said about these different reactions, they don't work, Okay? There is no thing like, um, we're going to put a sanction on it, and from now on, um, we're only going to have oral sex once a week. 
that's not a sanction. That's not a real solution. You want to be real? It's not something like, we're not going to have sex anymore, in quotation marks. All the rest of that stuff's okay. But quote-unquote, sex, we're not going to have anymore. And you can't say stuff like, well, sooner or later we'll be married, and then it'll be okay that we did it in the back of my car. No. What I'm saying is this, is that if your relationship with somebody isn't based on anything less than the utmost impurity, cut it off. I have seen people fall this time and time again. You do not need it in your life, and you don't need to try to figure out a way to deal with it. You understand? Cut it off. Now you're just friends, and act like it. Live like it. Seriously. If you find yourself always in those sexual problems with the person who you say you love, cut it off. That's going to be the hardest one I can bring to you, and that's why I brought it to you. There's a lot of other things. That's one that's going to face every single one of you. Cut it off. Act like it. And if God wants you two back together, he'll bring you back together. Otherwise, you just let him do what he needs to do. And that's real. I'm sorry. Jesus is asking us to cut these things that cause us to sin out of our life. Each of us have things right now that we know we need to do. Undoubtedly, I bet you there's things in your life right now that stand out that you're thinking, I need to cut out of my life. Absolutely. I got an example for you, and it's in Mark as well. It's in Mark 10, 17 through 22. And this is a story about a man who gets asked this. And I'm going to read it to you in the message once again because I love it. Here's what happens. It says that Jesus, as he went out into the street, a man came running up, greeted him with a great reverence, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to, to get eternal life? Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. He said, Teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. Jesus looked at him hard in the eye and loved him. He said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you, ha- whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth. And come follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Here's a man who comes up and he wants to know, how do I get to heaven? And what Jesus does is he points out that one thing that he hasn't cut out from his life. Greed. And all this money that he's holding on to in his life. And he says, you want to attain heaven? Get rid of all of it. Did he say, start giving an extra 10% of the money you have to the church? Did he say, you really need to start helping that neighbor? No, what he said is, it wasn't about that. He said, cut it out. He said, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Cut it out of your life then you come and follow me. It wasn't about an action. It was just about complete termination. Cut it off. Done. This man was clutching on the wealth, and like I said, it was the last thing he wanted to hear. His face just fell at it because he realized that was what he was holding on to. Jesus is saying, once again, we have to cut the things out of our life that lead to sin. Like I said, not deal with them, not the words I use, coddling, coercing, avoiding, or sanctioning them. 
but cutting them out of our life. Plain and simple, no more, cold turkey, done, sick of it, don't want any more of it in our life. That's what Jesus is saying. Like I said, many of us right now know things that are standing out in our mind that the Spirit is saying, these are things that you need to cut out of your life. Like I said, sin is serious and it needs to be dealt with in that way. Just like that kid who's standing there staring at that stick of dynamite. If you saw that, wouldn't you run up and get him to get rid of that? Once you hear about it, once you know about the danger, if that kid understood what that stick of dynamite is, what would he do? He'd throw that thing as far as he possibly could away from himself and he'd run in the other direction. You guys now know the dangers of sin. You understand it. So you're going to stare and look at that flame or are you going to throw it as far away from yourself and are you going to run in the opposite direction? Are you friends? Are you going to let your friend stare at that flame? Or are you going to tell them and remind them to throw that stick of dynamite and run the opposite direction? Are you going to help your friends cutting these things out of, his, out of their lives, cutting the sin out of their lives? Someone might say tonight as well, um, I never knew that sin was so serious and that Jesus took care of it the way that he did. And I want to know Jesus and I want to work on my life. If that's true, then come talk to me. Like I said before, Jesus was hardcore. Jesus was real. 100%. He said some things that were really hard to listen to, but every single one of them was true. Such as, cut off your hand. Realize who he is and love him. Thanks.